A wonderful good morning, a wonderful good evening, wherever you're in the world, and welcome back to another episode of the Uptown Punks. Um, Tim, um, the intro is yours, again. Mine too, <laughs> okay, yeah, cool. So what will you learn from today's session? Um, lots of things, um, and two first-timers again here. Um, last time was the... The first gadget that I personally really thought was actually uh, a cool gadget. Not, 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 no, no, no offense to all the other gadgets, um, but this one I really thought was interesting. But no, the first is where we actually had first time um, live performance um, of a Christmas song from our guest, and this will be a tradition uh, from now on uh, until Christmas. And we are serious about it, that's serious. <laughs> and um, the second thing is that we were actually asked about our own definition of uptime. And um, if, yeah, if you are interested in this, just listen in. Perfect, thank you. Close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Uptime Punks, wherever you are in the world. Um, good morning or good afternoon or good night. Um, today we have a very special guest. It's uh, Volker Seidel from um, Dell. Um, hello, Volker. How are you? Hey, good morning, Uptime Punks out there. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Tim. How are you? Yes, very good. So it's a grey and cold day here in London. How's the weather over there in? Uh, yeah, it was it was intensively snowing yesterday. So uh, my little son built a snowman in the garden. So, but today it gets a little bit better. So uh, no more snowing today. Okay, all hoping for a white Christmas then. Absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> it will be it will become more Christmassy uh, later on. A uh, little little uh, disclaimer. Um, Spoiler. So for um, uh, to start, we always do the same, Falker. We ask uh, people a number of questions to get them warmed up, and then we um, you can introduce yourself before we then do that topical talk. Um, and my first question to you would be, uh, what was your first mobile phone, if you remember? Yeah, it was... Uh... So, so first of all, um, I, in the first place, I didn't have a mobile phone. I got one of those pagers. Do you know those pagers that you that you clip on your belt? It was a, a green small device. It, it was called Quix. It oh, uh, right. was 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 only able to to receive messages, but you actually couldn't couldn't type any messages. So it was really really cumbersome then to to someone was paging you and you have to run to the to the next telephone and call him back and stuff like that. So it was really <laughs> funny. Like but I, I, a I passive it, slave right? of, of the <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely so but um, finally in I think it was 1998 I got my first mobile phone it was a, a Nokia 6110 and it okay. was really it was really a very nice mobile phone it was blue green and you know it's, it was really really shiny and um, it it really you know it got me into technology and um, then I started oh, in my in my studies I started to actually actually sell mobile phones and was uh, um, financing my, my whole studies with selling mobile phones. So it really okay. got me 
got me in the second, Excellent. In the second run. Yeah, I don't know if you if you watch um, the series uh, so much, but I instantly had the image of um, Saul Goodman uh, from Breaking Bad. <laughs> Breaking Bad, right? <laughs> and he has now his own series, and in this own series, there's an episode where he he's a hustler and he needs to sell mobile phones to make a living because he got disbarred <laughs> as a lawyer or something. So anyways, I don't want to talk about Netflix series, but I just got that. <laughs> okay, so it was actually phones who got into technology and not, not computers or... Um... Uh, yeah, it was both. So my, my first computer was actually mm -hmm. a Commodore C64. I don't know if you, if you know that. It was a, a floppy... Benny had the same yesterday. Oh, um... oh really? <laughs> Yeah, it was with a floppy disk and, you know, 64 KB of, of RAM. And, uh, you know, I, I, really gaming got me into, into the computer uh, space. So uh, I loved to game, like games like Ace of Aces, Gauntlet, Defender of the Crown, Lemmings and stuff like that. And I, and I still, I still remember, remember the first line you have to type. It's like load dollar dot eight dot one and then return and then you you got the list of the games and could choose from your games from so it was really really cool excellent excellent yeah i'm a bit um of a let's say newer generation um no offense but um i'm like the age of empires generation um oh okay yeah there was also i think commander conquest was still a thing when i got my first computer but um I really, really was sucked in by um, Age of Empires, and uh, I, I even play it uh, today nowadays from time to time. So um, yeah, gaming got us. Um, yeah, got us really. So um, your first computer, your first mobile phone. Uh, the next question is a bit COVID-related because we know that um, many during lockdown start to question their lives, start to start to uh, have needs that they didn't, didn't have before. And maybe technology um, came and redeemed them in some way. And um, some people got a gadget. Uh, Paul is always bragging about his light bulbs. I know that um, our listeners already have it <laughs> there. But um, what about you, Volker? Did you get a lockdown gadget and what was it? Yeah. So uh, first of all, uh, to be honest, um, I'm a I'm a totally um, I'm a gadget guy, right? It, it didn't need um, COVID for me to have a lot of gadgets. So I have gadget all over the place. My friends sometimes really call me tech nerd because you know I have a drone at home. I have like a, a hotel like. Um, um, wireless network in my house. Uh, I have like uh, network work attached storage. I have a smart home. Where I have computer that, uh, where, which I built by my own. So uh, I always uh, have the tradition that my computers uh, are all homemade by myself. So with a friend together, we build those computers in the, in the cellar. And it's really, so, so I have so many gadgets, uh, like I really cannot choose one, but um, maybe if I have to choose one, it really would be my, my computer, uh, basically, because, uh, you know, it's so, so flexible. You can do so many things here. So that mm -hmm. would be my favorite gadget, even in uh, COVID times, right? Uh, so a real Dell guy who builds his computer. <laughs> so. but, but Tim, I see the pattern here again. Uh, have you realized uh, somehow everybody in senior management at Dell is 
a he's computer a tech freak. Yeah. He's an yeah. absolute tech sorry. nerd. I'm I sorry mean, for that. <laughs> I, uh, Volker, have you also tried to put rockets on your inline skates like uh, Florian did? Or <laughs> not, not yet, but I listened. Of course, I listened to, to this podcast and really, really smiled a little bit because uh, I exactly thought the same. I mean, oh my God, all the the Dell guys are tech nerds. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's true, but it's a good thing. I mean, it's a tech company after all. No, but but the, the first thing I remember about Dell, because one of my first, not the very first, but one of the very first computers was when my, my father um, sent me a budget and said, um, you don't have to use the family computer anymore because I'm tired of you gaming and me not being able to, to do my work. So I get you a computer. It's a gift. This is the budget. Now you go to Dell and you can um, you can build your own computer. You know, I don't know if this still is a thing, but you can actually choose what RAM you want, what hard drive you want, the the graphic um, um, the graphics card and all that, and then you put it together. And I actually I'm actually pretty convinced that I made uh, a lot out of my kind of limited budget back then. But uh, <laughs> great, to hear. yeah. <laughs> so. Um, Okay, uh, add window closed. Um, now is now it gets serious, Volker. We want to know from you how you how you define uptime because we are the uptime punks and we want to know what uptime means to you. Okay, for sure. So, um, you know, I, I think I have to differentiate between um, a private context of uptime and uh, more a business-like context. So, so in a private context, uh, for me, uptime is uh, you know basically to to have access to resources, and what do you mean by that? So to 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 have my time to to uh, play with all my tech gadgets, for example. So time for sports, time to learn, time to evolve uh, personally, but also like um, some uh, time for family and and friends and colleagues for sure, and you know also some have some access to some material things like. A little bit of budget, like you said, or, or a computer or or gaming or stuff like that. So that's the private context of uptime for me, for basically having time for things that I'm uh, happy to do. And uh, of course, there's also a little bit of a business context. And um, the business cost context, of course, um, working um, in a data center environment, it's all about high availability, which is a very, um, let's say, um, improved version of just uptime right so and you know every it platform we are working with in the data center has to uh, be able to um, survive basically if one of the components dies so this is the the business context of uptime to have redundancy and uh, to have uh, a high availability uh, certain let's say um, minutes or seconds per year that you actually are allowed to maintain the system and the rest of the time it just has to, has to be up and running so that's that would be the, the the business context of it how many minutes or seconds per year do you have at dell yeah you know we have we have uh, all different systems so um but uh, basically uh, at least most of the data center systems we are selling have uh, five nines of uh, availability and that means that it's like five and a half minutes per year that the system is actually down at a max. So, um, but you know, we also have platforms that have six um, uh, nines uh, of availability, and then of course the the downtime is even even lower. So, so what about your your uptime, the uptime punks? 
What would oh, you say? Wow. What was your high availability? Never, <laughs> never got asked this question, so you're actually defying. Uh, <laughs> um, back to you, Paul. No, joking. So for me, <laughs> uptime is, um, I think uh, you said it very nicely, um, uptime is um, availability of whatever you want. Uh, in a private context that may be um, actually, I don't know, um, yeah, time for yourself. Um, in Benny's case, it might be fresh air with his uh, air quality proof, uh, proof system. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's all about uh, getting what you want. But in my opinion, it is also about thinking what you need, really, and not just like um, uh, using resource just because you can. So, right, I think... Um, that's that's some that's some some notion I have from uptime. Uh, whether it's in a business or in a in a personal context, I think there's also some notion of responsibility in it, and um, definitely. And then I know that there is some very uh, strict definition of uptime is the availability of a data center at any time um, in any place. And but I don't really think that is the most interesting definition. I think it's more interesting to to actually, as you did, put it in a personal context and then reflect around it what it actually all implies. So to me, it's it's basically that. Um, yeah, thanks for asking the question. Um, never got got it asked. So um, there's a first one for um, uh, that's very first. Is what about you, Paul? What's your definition of uptime? Uptime. Well, I I think uptime has changed during. Um... For, I, I would say before COVID, uptime for me was the because I most of my life I always lived far away from family and I was able to fly on the weekends to go see them and do the short trips. So for me, uptime was used to be the fact that I was um, mobile and I was able to just go fly across, get in the plane, see my parents for the weekend, fly back Sunday evening. And now there's unfortunately there's downtime due to COVID. So um, this is where the uptime was gone. And then um, I, I think uptime became um, something which is a little bit concerning now as well, because um, especially when it comes to work and personal life with working from home, it's quite difficult to separate it, which means that, um, well, I hope my employer is going to excuse me for this one, but um, it means you're basically working 24-7, which means that there is no downtime when it comes to work because people know that you are reachable, that you will be available and that you will check your emails at some point. Point, and you even expect the same as well from your colleagues and um, so that's why I think like uptime has grown in the workspace which means um, employers really benefit from that fact because they get much more out of their employees now because people sit at seven o'clock in the morning in front of a computer instead of commuting to the office um, on a personal level um, uptime for me is that I my bike is fit and I can go out and um, everything is done and I can just enjoyed the time away from screens and um, because now looking at multiple screens the whole day it even forced me uh tim i have to confess to you i'm gonna be wearing glasses starting next week because my eyesight has absolutely gone so um this is something which i've developed now in the last yeah eight months and sitting at home and looking into too many screens um yeah, my eyes got now. Well, I need glasses. Um, this is this is for me the what I'm taking with me from lockdown is that I'm my eyes probably age by ten years. Yeah, you can take Google glasses and make it your lockdown gadget. <laughs> you know what? Interesting enough, Google glasses. Um, I remember when they first came out, 
this one I was living back in Dubai. Um, there were, I think, $1,000 or something. So everybody must... Uh, Dubai is a kind of a place, something like this comes on, everybody has it, right? Whatever happened to them, they disappeared. And uh, then there was I also another it developer... for itself, doesn't it? <laughs> no, but it was really cool because the, 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 just the pure concept of it was like, it's a bit like Robocop, you know? You just look into the space. But then... Um, so I do, Volker does notice, so do Ironmans and triathlons, right? So the Americans are very gadgety and techy, right? So you have um, swimming goggles, and now an American developer put the same system with Google Glasses set. So basically you can have in your swimming goggles, you can see the amount of meters you're swimming and the speed you're going. And um, it was actually rejected by the uh, authorities that it's not allowed for races because um, basically it would... Um, yeah, it would give you an advantage you. or something. It right? gives you an advantage yeah. because yeah. When, you, when you swim an Ironman, which is like 3.8 kilometers, um, which is in the ocean or whatever it is, so the biggest issue is normally with the current and the sense of direction because you normally have to swim out, go to a buoy and make a U-turn. So sometimes you swim four kilometers. It will always be more than the actual distance because you're swimming against the current and you will never swim in a straight line. It's impossible. But with that device, you could actually see where you're going, and that's why it was disqualified. But just shows you how uh, tech is just uh, advancing into everything. Um, but um, yeah, absolutely, so that's uh, that's the power <laughs> of technology, I would say. And uh, I've, I, ju I just heard uh, um, that there's also a ski mask from I think it's from Oakley that basically gives you also opportunity to um, find your own. Uh, routes in the snow and uh, you can even record the jumps of your friends uh, while just lo just looking at them basically and then uh, you can yeah. uh, record with a ski mask so so yeah it might be a good gadget but i, I don't know if uh, um, in a let's say near future everyone will wear google glasses i think that's sometimes uh, a little bit also questionable in terms of data privacy and stuff like that so let's see um, speaking about these things, um, I was at a conference, I think it was two years ago in Frankfurt, and they, uh, they were talking about biohacking and uh, how you can biohack the human. And then a couple of guys were there. One guy, he had like, um, the, he basically he implanted magnets on his fingers so he could control screens. Um, then another guy had like, um, um, I think it was like a metal spiral behind his ear, which made it possible for him to hear uh, radio frequencies. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. All well, right. I would, I would never want to hear radio frequencies. And, uh, and some of them have even uh, RFID chips in their hand to, yeah, to so this mobile, is the new mobile thing, yeah. payment and stuff like that. So, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's a few, I, I, I actually see, well, the thing is, it's like a chip you implanted between, um, for listeners out there, um, between your thumb and your index finger. Um, it goes basically in that space. And yes, you can do the payments. But also what's another thing is you can program your car on it. So if you have a keyless car, you basically just go to the door. And before you touch the door, the door will just open. So, um, well, it could be the future. But um, yeah, let's let's go away from uh, fantasy stories. And let's talk about... Uh, the actual infrastructure behind it. <laughs> can I can I just comment on one of your of your quotes, uh, Paul? That you just uh, yeah. So so regarding that that twenty four seven availability, I think that's that's really something that that we have to take care, right? Because um, you know every one of us um, has a different work style. From from me example, I, I don't like to to get up very early, right? I'm like a a night owl, right? I like to to work late, but not in the morning, but 
of course there are other people out there they they like to 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 work in the morning so so i think um also when you when you are a leader of a team you have to make sure that you show empathy even in virtual times right that you make sure that um it's okay for you that people have different work styles and um that that they of course are not available 24/7 because they need to sleep, they need to eat, they need to relax, whatever. So I think um, this is really something we have to, to bear in mind to make sure that we don't have any burnouts or any people that really um, get too, too much pressure on themselves uh, due to COVID, but also due to our expectations that they have to be available 24 to seven. And by the way, I have the same issue. I, I also need glasses now because I, I literally look like eight hours into two screens and uh, I really see my my eyes not getting better yeah it was the same with me i've got now the lenses with the blue even with the blue screen thing on it so uh, which is apparently helps even more um but um yeah i think i think this is a step closer to the 60s um i thought it would be still far away but uh, sorry for all the listeners that are 60 years old it doesn't mean you're wearing glasses but um i'm just trying to apply that, that that's a age um a respectable age to wear glasses at 60 is Top thirty. I think glasses are pretty cool. You need just you just need to make sure that they suit you. But, I got uh, pink ones, Tim. Pink, pink, <laughs> pink, like pink frame. Yeah, just for you, mate. I actually know someone um, who wears pink glasses. If this person listens right now, um, it, it's a speaker at one of our events. Um, it suits this person really well. It's like one of the only guys I've seen it seen. Uh, pulling this off and like really, really nicely. So, um, compliment shows, to that. Show, shows if personality, right? It, it shows so. personality. <laughs> there's also a saying in German seeing everything through the um, uh, pink, pink lens. Pink lens, yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, I think we need to get back to the topical. Um, what, what, what we, what we need to know from you, Volker. Um, what are you actually doing at Dell? What is your job title and, and what do you do um, during the eight hours looking on the screen? Yeah, so yeah, so next to being a tech nerd, um, I'm responsible for, for the so-called uh, pre-sales organization um, at Dell. So what is pre-sales? Basically, it's a, it's a team, um, team of uh, more than 100 um, t um, technical consultants that uh, basically are out there to listen to the, the customer requirements and then build technical s solutions. So we want to, to create, um, we want to be the IT architects, right? That, that create together with our partners and our customers um, to create and, and uh, build the future together. So, yeah, so um, again, I have like 10 managers reporting to me, um, 100 people. But uh, most fun for me personally is, uh, to be honest, to to be able to um, to uh, bring people to the next level, to help them in their career, and to see them evolve over time. So that that's really my motivation every day. And um, yeah, so it's really fun. Cool. And you mentioned phones and selling phones earlier, and then you said you it got it, you into tech industry. The story between selling phones and being in uh, at Dell in your position now. Uh, what is that story? Okay, so we don't have any phones at Dell for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but of, of course, uh, uh, even being being technical by heart, 
um, I think um, you also have to be able to articulate the value proposition of the things that we are selling, right? Um, and um, it's a little bit with like selling a phone, right? You have to you know about the features, but uh, of course you also have to know about uh, the competition and what are, are your personal values that you bring to the table compared to the to the comp competition. So, so I think that's that may be one one uh, parallel here. Um, to just you know know your brief and and know how how your products um, are compared to to maybe other products on the market and uh, why your solution is overall um, hopefully better suiting for the requirements the customer has. Okay, and how did you end up in in in, in that position at Dell? Yeah, so so that's funny. So so basically. Um, for the first time when I was basically looking for a job after after university, I got a call by that by a headhunter, and the, the headhunter asked me um, asked me if uh, I'm interesting to work in the storage storage branch, and I was like, um, I, I studied lo logistics, right? So and also a little bit of um, of marketing, and I was like, yeah, you know these these big buildings uh, that store a lot of uh, goods. And and distribute goods to other supermarkets and stuff like mm -hmm. that. He, he said, "No, no, no, no. That, that's not exactly the the, the storage I'm, I'm talking about. I'm talking about <laughs> data center, IT, architecture, and stuff like that." So that brought me into 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 Dell. And then you know, I started as a technical consultant by myself, and over time. Um, uh, I just realized that it's great to to you know to win deals, to have successes, to 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 uh, consult customers and make them happy with with a solution. But after a time, um, I, I've just seen that also managing people is is really something that that I that I, I love, and um, so that that brought me brought me uh, over the time to to the role. All right. Okay. So managing people, um, one of your core uh, responsibilities. I think you briefly uh, already mentioned <clears throat> how a management style during these remote and digital times uh, should be. But do you have any more uh, advice or things that you've learned during uh, during COVID as a as a team manager? Yeah. So, so first of all, you know, I'm I'm really very proud of my teams, and I know that there are a lot of other people out there that that may lead teams that are really proud uh, how the team coped with the with the new situation. You know, because uh, it really shows how how uh, quickly and fast uh, the 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 human being can can uh, adapt to a to total new situation, right? Um, working from home is, is something that we are used to at Dell. You know, we are, in most cases, we have uh, um, our people in the home office on, or on a hybrid plan. But um, going forward, we want to intensify that. We want to make sure that I think it's like 60% of our people going forward that actually are working from home or are on a hybrid plan. So and and you know I think that's that's something that um, that really changed uh, COVID that you that you show empathy to the people that you um, know that um, they have in some cases a really hard time at the moment and uh, give them some flexibility and time and um, yeah, manage them in a in a different style that you trust what they are doing and are not trying to be a micromanager. Okay. Okay. Okay, let's talk infrastructure. I think uh, Paul's favorite topic, as he's uh, our data center enthusiast. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, um, I'm also an infrastructure fan. 
um, by necessity, no, also by by interest. Um, but I think Paul um, is 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 really the guy who loves like these server racks. He's coming from automotives. He's 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 repeating that over and over. So he always tries to make parallels. Um, but there are a lot of parallels, actually, Tim. To be honest, uh, yes, we will come have... to that. But uh, <laughs> the, the first uh, the first question, actually, topical um, about infrastructure, which is what you do. You said you were um, architects building solutions for your clients and i think one of the one of the principles that you could attribute to dell is that infrastructure is like the heart of the enterprise or would you agree with this um that infrastructure is really the heart of the enterprise or is it something else or yeah so so yeah i would i would really um really agree um and the reason for that is is uh, you know first of all you you have to define what what is actually infrastructure that right? would be is, my is next it... question but yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like telepathy right we, we know what <laughs> yeah, yeah. okay so so you know and, and um so so infrastructure can be can be a building can be the network can be hardware can be software so you know it really relies on on the perspective you actually have on on infrastructure so just to, to give you an example if you if you're actually a programmer and develop uh, an operating system then probably the the real the hardware is your infrastructure because that's where you are programming this operating system right but um, for example when you are a developer an application developer then the infrastructure might be the hardware including the operating system because that's your view you just want to have a basically um, something you you can program your 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 application on right mm -hmm. and a, a normal user like I would say we are uh, that I would say the infrastructure is is not only the hardware and the operating system but also the application and even in some cases your smartphone for example can also be your personal infrastructure and your wireless network uh, to connect you to the internet this is all all infrastructure so it really it depends a little bit on the perspective but I think the the most important thing on when you think of the infrastructure being the heart of the enterprise is when you when you think of you trying to download an app for from whatever app store right it can be ios or, or or android doesn't matter and you you search for an app for example a trading app for for shares for, for example and you, you you search for this in your in your app store and you you got like 10 different apps of course or 100 i don't know Let, let's let's put it it's 10 apps that appear and you click on the first app and click on install and it says sorry installation not possible i couldn't reach the server or whatever what do you do right perhaps uh change from wi-fi to mobile data or what i, I don't okay, know so so when you do that um it's still not available what do you do then are you waiting like one hour until this app is available i'm a friend of turn it off and on again so i'll do that next <laughs> but uh, i don't so, know so I'll, I... I'll possibly i possibly get uh get mad because i know that the stocks are rising and i need to buy now so uh... <laughs> absolutely and i i would i would bet him that you go for the next app and not for the first you go for the second or for the third or for the fourth um, so that's availability right that's uptime basically and that's infrastructure so if the infrastructure is not there um, because and then you cannot download an app you, as you said you will get mad and you try just try another one right so that's the importance of an working infrastructure 
that you really have the an infrastructure that's available, but of course um, an infrastructure that's all also uh, scalable. Yeah, if, think about this: um, some some uh, uh, let's say startups they are, they are programming an app. I, I have a friend that he's trying to program a little bit, but he got a he got an, a quite decent app and he just threw it at an app store. And you know there were so many people actually then downloading the app that uh, you really have to make sure that the infrastructure that's behind it also is scaling in a way mm -hmm. that more people can consume this app, right? So this is another, another um, important thing that an infrastructure has to provide. And of course, it has to be easy. Um, and what is easy? So easy is something that you really don't have to care, right? So something that's just there and working and um, you really don't know all the details, but it's just there. So I think that are, um, things that an infrastructure should should uh, bring to the table and um okay. and then, yeah, that's my my point on um, I, I i think i think it's quite a um quite a valid point because um i don't know maybe you guys don't know about this but playstation 5 came out um last week and um, some of the younger guys in the office were like oh playstation 5 is out and we need to order it and um the Amazon page crashed. Um, John Lewis, uh, well, John Lewis, they don't have this in uh, Germany, but it's like a Karstadt. Um, basically, that homepage crashed. Um, the Sony homepage crashed. And this was basically so many people tried to buy that PlayStation that the entire internet just collapsed, um, which just basically goes back to infrastructure, I guess. Right, Volker? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is missed revenue, right? So this is not something yeah. that you can say, well, if I don't care, you know, it's, it will be up in in two hours. This is really a problem, right? Yeah, and, just uh, get it somewhere else. And then... ab absolutely. And, and and also thinking of um, of an, an, an enterprise, right? If when you when you when you earn money by delivering a service to the people out there and you cannot deliver the service because your infrastructure is having a problem, that is really something um, you should a avoid and b of course this really costs you money. So I don't know how many PlayStations have not been sold due to that fact, but I'm pretty sure that they will sell afterwards on another mm. portal. <laughs> That's the thing. You could actually argue that the PlayStation itself didn't really um, that our PlayStation Sony that well Sony too because if their own site crashed. They might have missed revenue, but um... yeah, but supply and demand. It's a, I, I study economics. It's it's like this: you just create demand, and then uh, you give limited supply. Um, the prices went now from three hundred pounds or three hundred dollars to five hundred already on the secondhand markets. Basically, you make a massive hype up, and you do this a month before Christmas, and by the time Christmas basically comes. Um, Everything basically, um, yeah, basically Christmas comes and every child wants all of us on PlayStation 5 because it's everywhere else sold out. Um, but um, let's not talk about PlayStation. Um, <laughs> it might have been okay. a strategy, though, yeah, like, um, to, to, uh, so, to scarce, the, to scarce um, the, the supply to increase the demand. As you said, prices rose, so who's the winner in the end? But I mean, okay. yeah, I get it. For all others, they... It's kind of as becoming a victim of your own success. Your app is so popular that the that the yeah. that the server crashes and it isn't available on, in in the app store. I totally get that. So but, yeah, yeah. Um, Volker, let me ask you. Um, so with 
you guys are advising clients how to build the infrastructure, how to run the infrastructures, what kind of infrastructures they should have. Um, did, did you just have the busiest months of your life <laughs> during, during COVID? Because I think a lot of people basically, um, I was telling this yesterday um, to your colleague, um, I was like, I feel like what happened, well, basically what happened in the last couple of years, the IT guy in the company was used to go to the board and be like, well, we, guys, we need to work on the digital infrastructure at the office. And people used to be like, ah, come on, for what? We only have 10% working from home. And he would be like, well, we, if we require more people to work from home or if um, more customers are going to log in online instead of coming to the shop, we're going to struggle. And then people are like, ah, how much is it going to cost? Ah, no, we're not going to spend this money. We can use this money somewhere else. And then um, the pandemic comes. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, wow, okay, um, what are we going to do now? And then I feel like, folk, I see you more like the fire brigade that gets called by the client. Like the house is burning and um, then you see a big Dell truck showing up and everybody comes out and uh, looks at it and says, well, guys, <laughs> you're five years behind. But um, no, but seriously, um, do you have some um, funny stories or um, actually some real stuff where you're like, well, um, yeah, the people really got to the limit. Yeah, absolutely. So, and um, just to, to echo what you just said, I mean, uh, these are unpretended uh, uh, um, uh, times. Um, so, um, you know, um, nobody really could have expected the impact of this pandemic. And um, this just really got some, some businesses into trouble, right? Because, um, you know, as, a, as I said before, um, at Dell, we, we know uh, to work from home. We have the infrastructure. We have, uh, let's say, the laptop, the webcam, a decent internet, and everything. But not every every um, company out there um, was used to working from home or used to to work from uh, remote. And um, we really saw a lot of um, demand, of course, uh, for our clients, but for infrastructure but also um, really customers seeking for help, right? They, they were asking us for help, how they could transform, how they could evolve in their digital transformation journey in such a short amount of time, right? It's, it's really something that, that uh, were, was really a challenge for, for a lot of them. And uh, so, so what, we, what we put together um, at Dell, it's, uh, we um, have a, a survey that we do every two years. So we did that in 2016, we did that in 2018, and we did that in 2020. And this is called the, the Dell uh, Digital Transformation Index. So what this basically is, is we asked like over 4,000 CXOs in um, over 18 countries on their, on their actually, um, on their journey to the digital transformation. So, so how do, you, do they see their self on, on this journey? So um, do they see themselves as being a digital leader? So really uh, companies where they say they have the, the digital DNA, right? Everything is digital. The whole business model is built on a, on a digital uh, enterprise. Or do they see themselves more as a digital adopter? So people who try to to, to um, um, mature in their digital plans and have certain investments and innovations in place? Or are they still like digital evaluators, digital followers, or e even digital laggards? So people really are lagging behind. So, so just to give, you, to give you some data points here, I think it might be interesting um, during COVID. So in, in 2018, 
this is German German companies that um, I'm um, here referring to. Six percent of the people we ask in Germany said that they see themselves as digital leaders. And in the year 2020, it's still at six percent. So that's not very spectacular. But looking at the digital adopters, so those people that really have a mature digital plan in place and a clear budget for, for digital projects, in 2018, they, they were at 21% of the enterprises that's, that say that they see themselves as digital adopters. And this rose to 38% in 2020. So it, this is a, really a peak of 17%. So that you see that that everyone knows that you have to be digital in those times to, to be close to your customers, to understand your customer requirements and to be able to react to any, any new um, pandemic or, or any new uh, things that happen out there, right? If you're close to your customer, if you have a really good app, if you have uh, an online shop, whatever, you, you will always have an advantage uh, to those digital to, to those enterprises that don't have a, a digital agenda because you need to go to a shop they are closed now or you need to whatever do things to to um to get close to to the company and that's why i think the digitalization and the and the journey to the digital uh, transformation is so important um to to especially in those times uh, that we see at the moment with the pandemic Yeah. Um, well, this is this is great. Yeah. I mean, it, that's the thing. It's like <clears throat> I, I think, like you said, like people really saw like it's like I said, the fire brigade of Dell was showing up. Huh? Um, did you would you say this was um, across the board, or would you say there's certain sectors where um, um, they had to adopt even faster? Um, because I know some industries that were probably ready for it. Obviously, people that work in tech already for something like this but um where would you say what like they had to put the most effort in terms of um gearing up which kind of industry was it manufacturing was it healthcare was it um automotive even my favorite topic as tim likes to say <laughs> but um where do you think they, the 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 most progress had to be made in a short amount of time so so i think it's really hard to 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 point out that one industry that that didn't have any digital agenda, right? Uh, I think um, I think there was a digital summit of the German government yesterday, and they they showed also how how important this uh, digitalized digitalization topic is for for uh, Germany, but also for the for the for all industries and, and all businesses. So I think you it's really hard to point out that one industry. But um, again, in, in each and every segment, in each and every industry, there were of course companies that were better prepared and uh, worked on, on this um, plan for a long time and got budget in the past. And some of them really missed that, that opportunity and they really had to, ca to catch up, right? And it was so, so interesting to see how fast budgets were freed for this topic during a pandemic, right? And um, the interesting thing is that uh, in some cases, um, really those, those businesses were a little bit lost, right? They, they didn't know what to do and what to touch first because it's not a, about like um, leaving your employees at home and giving them a laptop, right? You have to, to pro provide more than that. You have to really provide again an infrastructure. You have to provide security. 
You have to make sure that your backend systems that people are logging onto from remote are capable of, uh, of coping with that new workload and stuff like that. You have to make sure that your, your IT staff is ready for that and stuff like that. So, so again, no really a segment that I, I would like to point out. Um, I think that, uh, that uh, we showed that a lot of, of companies showed a really great behavior in um, ramping up in a, in a very short amount, amount of time. And um, where we could, we, of course, are always happy to help. Yeah, it's um, like like you said, it's a challenge. I think also a big challenge was that a lot of um, probably the older generation struggles a lot with computers anyways already in the office. And um, I mean, we saw this ourselves. We we run an online event um, just like five weeks ago, and um, the classical marketing people that normally deal with uh, building stands and organizing these things all of a sudden have to deal with building an online stand. And this is where we saw um, people absolutely came to the limitations because they were like, well, I need to use five different platforms. Um, and this is like, um, yeah, we had to, t t Tim said, well, we need to make uh, videos for dummies. Um, basically, we need to make it, um, well, maybe this is the wrong way of saying it, but apologies, um, idiot proof. And uh, this, this is, um, yeah, but um, it, it's not about this. It's not, it's just people don't know. And um, I think, Educational, even for all of us, um, I learned a lot during lockdown. Um, I mean, basically, you have to um, get your own skills because you can't have now, um, if something is broken in the house, you couldn't have a me mechanic or plumber come. You have to do it yourself. If something is broken on my bike, I had to fix it myself. And the same way as now with IT. I mean, if something is not working on my computer, I have to do it myself because in the office, I would call the IT department. Somebody would show up and do it. And um, when we hit lockdown, I was like, okay, here's your um, office telephone for the house. Um, this is the socket. Uh, good luck. And um, yeah, and then uh, you sit there and uh, you try to figure out how to do um, a VPN connection for your office phone from your house. And um, yeah, um, Absolutely. it's a process. You do it. And um, for maybe for us, it's easier because we're, well, we're still from the computer generation. But um, if I would think about somebody probably in the late 50s, um, maybe 10 years away from retirement, if you give them one of these and say, well, fix this at home, um, these people will not be able, able to do it. And um, I think, yeah, um, I think a lot was learned. Eh? And um, yeah, and all, of course, all these bloody Zoom meetings, which I can't see anymore. But um. <laughs> absolutely, but you know, I totally agree with you on the on, on your point. I think it has to. It's all about the ease of use, right? If something is is easy to use, people will use it. And um, we 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 think that um, a, a lot of things get easier in our our world due to technology. That I think that's true. But if you look um, behind the curtain, our world is still very complex, right? So I think everything that we can do to make things easier and more intuitive and a little bit app-like, um, because that's what we are used to now, um, brings us brings us forward here. Uh, but don't you think it makes us too dependent? Because um, the way I, well, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a big critic because I think, um, don't we make don't we just dumb the youth and dumb um, ourselves? Because uh, for a lot of people, if you would tell them, oh, where's the next petrol station? They would just open the sat-nav in the car. And while in old days, you would know where it is. Um, or you would just follow your um, intuition. It's the same like with cycling apps. People are using Komoot, Strava, um, whatever it is. 
And people are even using navigation now. When they go cycling in the city, well, in the past, you would just follow signs. They'd be like, okay, let's go down across the river. And um, I just feel like um, the, the human um, the human species, um, if, if certain things we don't use, they just, um, well, they development shuts down. And then uh, five generations down the line, um, it doesn't work anymore. And um, can, can, can computers really replace uh, human beings? So that's that's really good a good one you know uh, immediately a, a picture came up in my mind I don't know if you if you remember that uh, cartoon Disney cartoon movie called Vol E it was with a little robot and robot and uh, all the 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 people there they were like so lazy and uh, just moving around in like flying chairs and stuff like that so um, and basically are doing nothing all day so um yeah but but to your, to your point i think um you know it's it's really a hard, a hard question um we are all seeking for um the ease of use and make everything easy but it, as i said it, it's basically not right it's 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 very complex it's a it's a, it's a complex world but um yeah I, uh, there are two two hearts in uh, beating in my chest re regarding this topic so so i think it's um it's always important that you at least give it a try and and try to to understand what what's behind it right and not just take it as it is and say okay uh, i don't care it's just working you have to have a a certain your own way in in trying to explore things how things are working and uh, being uh, being um being able to learn and being willing to learn things that's that's important because um and regarding your your topic um I, of course there's a lot of um things going on in the artificial artificial intelligent world and i think you touched on that also in the automotive podcast with florian right and there are many things going on and i've personally i have a, I have a friend um who works for a very big car manufacturer and uh, what he told me is that this whole autonomous driving uh, i mean this is valid it, it will it'll, it will be there right but it will still take years from now till every every car is able to to navigate on on its own and until this is there you still have to have a driver's license and have to learn and have to to know uh, what to do when when you have a flat tire and stuff like that so i think there's a lot of things going on with artificial intelligence also in the health healthcare industry for example um when you when you look at um trying to find a vaccine for for cancer and everything um there's a lot of um interesting research going on but uh, as you just said you should always be uh, able to try to to look behind things and understand how things are working because otherwise uh, you will be lost when you when you lose your smartphone right yeah um i, I, I mean coming to um the self-driving cars um so um back to the triathlons this so there's the um World Championships are next weekend, and um, so they're following a couple of the athletes now in the US because they're happening in Daytona. And um, some of the athletes are sponsored by Tesla, and they made a really good um, commercial, which is like, so they went cycling, and then they went running, and they're really exhausted. And then the next scene, they just go sit in the car, and they press the button, and then they both lean back like this, and the car starts driving by itself. And then it says that's why we live in America because a Tesla can drive us around. So um, it's, it's it's quite quite interesting. But um, we had this debate yesterday. Um, Self-driving cars means a lot of data. 
And um, I would say Germany is one of the countries that always tries to lead with these technology uh, technological advances um, to a certain extent. Um, are our infrastructures even ready for this? I mean, how is this all going to work out? Is it going to be offline? Is it going to be online solutions? And like Peter Koch was said it lovely in our first episode, excuse my German, jeder Misthaufen hat ein data center, uh, which means basically every shit pile in a farm has a data center. Is, do you think this is, this is, this is how the future is going to look like, that um, you're going to have small edge data centers and then they run to a bigger data center? Or I mean, you're from an infrastructure perspective. How do you think this is going to work out in the rural areas? So, so first of all, um, nobody can deny that we are data gener data generating and data collecting generation, right? I mean, um, I think in, uh, it was said that in the year 2025, we will have more than, uh, I think it was 175 setabyte of data. Yeah, that's that's a that's a one with 21 zeros, right? That's a lot of data, right? And of course. Um, this also brings new questions to the table. Um, how do we store this data? How, which technologies do we have to to harvest this data? Because I think that's what will be the most important point going going uh, going into the future that we actually um, use our data, right? Not the data is there. We collect a lot of data, for example, also uh, for auto, autonomous driving. Um, there are there are tons of data, but what do we actually do with that data? We have to make sure that we get insight into the data and then build new business models um, to, to really bring new opportunities um, and new ideas and new apps and new ways of uh, doing things. And I think that going forward, there's so much data that we cannot do that by our own. We, we need technology again, uh, like uh, artificial intelligence, deep learning models and stuff like that to actually do that because nobody, not even not you, Paul, is able to, to look at all this data and be able to, to, to make like complex decisions out of that. We, we need some, some kind of automation, right? Um, to, 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 to really, to really make the blockchain comes into play. Do you think blockchain is going to be the solution for it? No, no, I think no blockchain is, it's, it, I mean, this is an interesting concept, but, uh, a blockchain, um, of course, is also evolving, but I think that a lot of people are still struggling. A lot of businesses and enterprises are still struggling to, to actually make um, an, a very good and um, compelling use case out of this blockchain technology. It's really, it's really hard. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a good concept, and uh, I think there will be uh, good and even better concepts uh, evolving out of this blockchain. But at the moment, um, at least from my knowledge. I do not know too many enterprises that really were able to to bring that into production and and really really use this technology to the full extent. I would say, but uh, again, it's it's all about about data going going forward. And you know, we also have to to have some some techniques, some features also in the systems to make sure that we cope with that data because it's all about maybe deduplicating the data and make it a little bit smaller, which is in some cases possible and some not, or um, have a big focus on the, the data management. How actually do we, are we able to drill down into the data and really manage this amount of data? I think this is the new um, the future hotspot for innovation to bring uh, new 
methodologies and and ways to to get 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 better there and and we've, we've seen a lot of trends right a lot of years uh, a few years ago we've, we've we've seen this trend to move everything to the to the public cloud right every everything went to one of the hyperscalers why yeah it was because it was easy it was fast it was easy just swipe the credit card and you, you go for it um, but guess what i've seen a i've seen a really nice um, t-shirt on one of the last conferences that i attended and it says says there is no cloud it's just someone else's computer <laughs> and you know it's it's a little bit true right uh, nothing runs without a solid infrastructure and, and basically hardware uh comes tim's favorite question what is more important software or hardware so um i think Oh, what came first, the egg or the chicken? No. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I, I, th I think that uh, definitely going forward, we will see a lot of more innovation and good things happening in software. You know, all you, you all know that sentence: software is eating the world. And you know, if you if you just have a look at your smartphone and how many devices, how many hardware devices actually are now in your iPhone or in your telephone, it's it's a telephone. It's uh, uh, it's so many things that you can do now, right? With that, it's it's it can be a, a writing machine, it's a messenger, it's it's uh, uh, a fax fax gerät from 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 back in the days and stuff. Like so many things that you you actually can do with your smartphone. It's all in one device. So I think more innovation and more um, cool of the cool stuff will will be um, due to software. But again, it's also important. That this software runs on a solid hardware, because uh, software can do nothing without a system. Software actually runs on. So, I think the matter of, of importance it's it's really fifty fifty, um, because one the one thing just needs the other. Um, and another question I would like to ask you, because um, you advise, of course, your clients of the infrastructure solutions and these things. Um, do you guys also advise um, towards circular economy um, in order to make it more sustainable? Um, do you guys touch on these topics or even um, help people? They say, well, we want to go a zero carbon footprint, um, how we can do this. Um, I don't know, maybe you can give us some more because it's a lot of times we discuss these topics in our podcast because people are curious and interested in these things. Yeah, so and you know, I think this is this is very important also for for every every company uh, and and, the, and and every individual to look at these important things like uh, sustainability, but uh, in a in a let's say a company context, also other things like having a an inclusive uh, workforce. Or um, being able to trans do something that's transforming uh, lives in a posi positive way, and of course also to to have a high standard uh, um, and upholding the ethics and, and privacy topics and stuff like that. So so what we did to, uh, to, to um, put together at Dell is uh, we call them um, 2030 moonshot goals. And uh, for example, one of those moonshot goals is really um, to, for every product you actually buy that we will reuse or recycle an equivalent product. And uh, we try to make 100% of our packaging and 50% of our product content that it will be made out of recycled or renewable, renewable material. So we are not there, but we really have a very strong 
programs in place to to push that and um, of course um, also to to try to positively influence uh, the lives of the people out there so um, to to build initiatives uh, for example that in education or or uh, or health that we are sponsoring to uh, positively uh, uh, impact the life of of, of the people well, i think it's great what you guys are doing because um this needs to be done more um and um yeah it's a, it's a, it's a topic that's cl quite uh, tim i would say close to our hearts isn't it after we had susana preaching down on us and ali fan and uh, all the lovely ladies from the us who are hardcore pioneers when it comes to um it renewables and these things because um i think it's the, the right way forward because um there's more in a chip than just one year life and um this is this is something um, yeah, which is a great thing. Um, um, Volker, so where do you see the where do you see the twenty thirty route going to then? Because um, your colleague has a forecast, which is the road to twenty thirty. Um, wh where do you see yourself the road to twenty thirty? Then where do you see uh, where do you see it all going in the future and in the coming years in terms of infrastructure? Um, is it going to move more to um, less hyperscalers or more hyperscalers or every company will have their own little data center um what, what do you think is the the wave the, the move forward because um frankfurt for example brexit has a massive influence on it so frankfurt is um data centers are popping up like mushrooms right now i think um I don't know. Maybe Frankfurt is going to be one of the biggest data center places uh, in the near future. Um, how do you see the the data center market developing itself? So, so um, I think that in the future it's even more uh, intensively shifting to more agility, more flexibility, and more speed. It's all about speed. You have to be fast. You have to be fast in developing. You have to be fast in failing to learn from your errors and then bring uh, a new improved version of your app, whatever, um, to the table. And uh, I think it's also, um, when, I, when I talk about flexibility, it's, it's not the flexibility, not only the flexibility how you use the resources, it's also the flexibility, for example, in, in how, you, how you pay for it. The whole pay as you grow topic. Uh, people don't want to buy like a, a big infrastructure solution and then realize that it's it may be too small or even too big for the, the actual requirements that I have. So so having a certain flexibility, uh, flex on demand payment models, that will be also something that uh, especially we are focusing on at Dell, but also if I think that clearly the market is going. And um, even in those um, unpredictable times, you have to be prepared for any peaks in performance, in, in um, where you have to suddenly scale your data center and stuff like that. So I think the the whole cloud topic will still be be important and will will still remain uh, with us uh, in the IT. But uh, many many companies realize that cloud can also be the new silo, right? That it's very easy to transfer applications or workloads into the cloud, but it's it may not be so easy. Uh, when you, for whatever reasons, like latency issues, performance issue, cost issues, whatever whatever reason that may be, to really bring back that data um, into your own data center. So I think the important thing here is that you have like a, a system, like a cloud arbitrage, that you are able to online 
move workloads between clouds and you decide for performance, latency, cost or compliance reasons where your actual workload resides today. And you can change it with a mouse click where it resides tomorrow. So this whole idea of having like a cloud console where you really can um, make a decision on price, performance, latency, again, many, many ways uh, how you can make up your decision, but then you can really act on that immediately and uh, transfer your workload to, to many clouds. So I think the, the whole world will be in a, in a hybrid cloud or multi-cloud construct where, where enterprises use different uh, models um, uh, for whatever um, requirement and workload they may have in, in the future. But it's all about making things easier automate everything where possible and of course in in a certain time period also make intensive use of the capabilities of artificial intelligence deep learning and stuff like that that would be my future prediction oh wow great great prediction um for, for all the tech geeks out there i'm um Volker, you must have seen a lot of data centers um what would you say was the coolest and geekiest data center you have walked into so that's a good one that's a really good one i like that paul so yeah you're right uh, i've seen a lot of data centers so you know it was very funny for me to see that there are also tech geeks when building a data center right <laughs> so uh, i remember this one data center i won't won't uh, call out the customer name but when when we walked into the data center it was like a light show really so it, he had different colors in different corners of the data center every cable was in the same color he painted the actually the hardware infrastructure in different colors um so it was like it, it was like a it was really an experience to walk into this data center and see all those lights and things and moving. And he could literally, literally explain every single cable and what it does. So it was really, it was so, so cleaned up and so, um, so uh, fun, fun to see. He was like a data center modder, right? <laughs> he really liked to mod, mod his own data center. Something that you, you would uh, expect more from someone like me uh, modding his computer, but he. He completely upgraded the whole data center. That was a good one. So it looked like a spaceship. The only thing missing was like, yeah. Scotty, beam me, beam me up, Scotty. Yeah, or the, or the alien or the predator standing in the, in the next to the system or something, right? <laughs> because it was actually funny. Um, um, our, our friends from um, Uptime Institute, um, so um, they also they have a fellow Ironman athlete, uh, Scott. Scott, if you're, uh, I know Scott always listens to our podcast. So Scott posted on, on Halloween, um, Scott went on a tour of data centers in London. And apparently a couple of guys, you know how you have the double... Um, the, the double floors in the data center and some of them have a glass panels so one oh. guy in london decided to put gravestones and skeletons <laughs> <laughs> so basically they did a um, a spooky data center a spooky data center day and scott just posted some pictures on linkedin which was quite that's fascinating cool. uh, i think but, uh, i think we're not far from having data centers as a setting for laser tag or paintball games i would love yeah. to do that Oh yes, when, yes, you, totally when you described that data center, I was a, that. That's some place I would want to do laser tagging or. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you, but uh, maybe you, we can do this as a team activity one day, Tim. Um, yeah, the uptime punks go laser tag, and then we take our guests to <laughs> to this, and we we record. Uh, we, everybody has a microphone in in the helmet, and we record it. 
That'd yeah. be fun. I really what? like your Im imagination, and you, you know the bad thing is you also have to clean up afterwards, and this will be messy, right? If if you oh, go damn. for paintball, at least if you go for paintball, <laughs> laser tag is okay, but paintball will be really messy. Yeah, that's true, but um, yeah, um, I, I I think we're we're coming to we're coming to we're coming on to an end, but um, Volker has promised us that he's going to sing a Christmas song. Um, oh my god. <laughs> Are you sure that I promised it or you thought that I promised it? Well, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I don't know. I just, uh, first, let's start. Um, what is for you your favorite Christmas song? And why is it your favorite Christmas song? And what reminds you when you hear that song? So, so to be honest with you, um, it's, it's quite kind of boring. But really, my, my favorite Christmas song is Jingle Bells. And the only reason for that is because uh, you know I try to, to to learn a little bit of of, of English to to my little son, and uh, he uh, you know he that's basically the only text I know in English, at least uh, like the first uh, the first part of it. So that's the reason why I would go for Jingle Bells here. <laughs> so well, if you know the first part, then it should be easy to sing it. Um... <laughs> are you, are you <laughs> sure? I mean, I'll do it. Are you sure? I, 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 I can, can cut it out beat. afterwards. <laughs> no, you, do, do you need the beat? I'll get you the beat. No, no, no. I got, I got it. I got it. I got it. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Over to it is to ride on one horse. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> like a hip hop version of it, right? I'm, I'm, yeah, I can. I, Paul, do, do do you know some beatbox, Paul? Oh, oh yeah, I, I I think Cool Savage would come, um, or Sido with the mask. Uh, I, for all the listeners who are not German, there was this guy who was a hip hop artist in Germany who was wearing a skull mask for some years um, until he took it off. Um, but um, yeah, well done, Volker. Um, this was not just your first podcast. This was your first time you probably live performed in front of an audience. <laughs> At least a Christmas song, yeah, for sure. <laughs> But um, yeah, we always say the last word is with our guest. So um, the stage is all yours. Um, if you want to leave a message for the future, for the generations to come, um, this is your chance. So first of all, Paul and Tim, thank you very much. And all the uptime punks out there, thank you very much for, for having me and listening to me. So um, I like to, to quote one of my favorite scientists here. It's Charles Darwin, and he said that, that not the str strongest or the most intelligent species survives, but the one that is more uh, most adaptable to change. And I think that we really showed in the last few months that uh, that we, every one of us, can really adapt to change. And uh, so my my call out would be um, try to 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 uh, do new things out there, right? Um, change and doing something different is, is is always a chance to do something better right and if you do things always in the same way you will never see a different result so so it doesn't matter if if in the business context or in a private context just uh, just go for it right try things and uh, take care well said thank you so much volker thanks volker So that was one hell of an episode. Um, I hope it was fun to you guys. I think it is 
another one of um, this brilliant, these brilliant Dell guys who who is just um, tech, 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 but who also has a very um, uh, good approach in life in general and um, some useful tips on how to deal with uh, with change. Do, do you think that. they ask you when you apply for a job at Dell? Um, what can you? I don't know. Do you think they, they call them in for an interview and then they just put like parts on the table and if you can build a computer and a rocket ship out of it, you got the job? I don't know, actually. I would love to. I would love to know it. I, I don't know. Uh, if I were ever to work from Delhi, it would be for a podcast or, a, I don't know, perhaps something a bit less techy, but uh, who knows? Who knows? I don't know. Perhaps um, they just ask you to... Yeah, they, they, they send you parts and then you need to assemble it and and send it back, depending. Uh, I have no idea. That that would be a nice question for uh, our next guest. What, what, yeah, what's your I, first I, job interview like? Yeah, because um, if you think about it, it's really great because they, they seem to be really part of the industry. Like they know it from the ground up, which is really a great thing. Yeah, definitely. So um, another great episode. Um, as said in the beginning, many more songs to follow. And um, I hope it gets Christmassy at your home. If you celebrate it, if you don't celebrate it, just enjoy the holiday or um, whatever else you are doing. And um, also, uh, yeah, have fun. Have fun and don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on LinkedIn, Uptime Punks Official, and you can subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcast. And yeah, wish you all a great holiday and a happy new year. Cheers. Cheers.